Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And to the people of Median, we sent their brother Shu'ayb. He said, O oh, my people, worship Allah. You have no deity other than Him. There has come to you clear evidence from your Lord. So fulfill the measure and wait. And do not deprive people of their due and cause not corruption upon the earth after its reformation. That is better for you if you should be believers. Respected brothers and sisters, dearest viewers, wherever you may be. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. Before I start the show, I'd like to congratulate you all and the whole Islamic Ummah on the birth of Imam Al-Hasan Al-Mushtaba alayhi salam. And inshallah, a joyful day for all of you and many, many more to come. Prophet Shu'aib alayhi salam. Last night, we looked at the life of Prophet Ayyub alayhi salam. How was he tested with his health, his community, his children, and his wealth? If you haven't watched those episodes, then please do go back on our channel, our YouTube and Facebook, at Imam Hussein TV 3 and they will be uploaded there, alongside all the episodes that we have done previously on this Ramadan special. But please continue following us on this Ramadan special by watching our live streams on YouTube and Facebook, any IPTV, your iOS and Android devices by downloading the app at Imam Hussein TV 3. Tonight, inshallah, we'll be looking at the life of Prophet Shu'aib <coughs> The community around him, the dishonesty and corruption that was occurring daily. I'm your host, Minhal Khafaji. The life of Prophet Shu'aib in depth with Dr. Sayyid Aman Naqshawani. Sayyidna, Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. How are you doing? Very well, thanks. Congratulations to everybody on the Wilada of the one buried in Jannat al-Baqiyah, Imam al-Hassan alayhi salam. May Allah grant us all to visit Jannat al-Baqiyah inshallah one day. Now Sayyidna, in previous episodes we've looked at political corruption with the story of Prophet Idris alayhi salam, social corruption in the story of <coughs> Prophet Lut alayhi salam. Would you say the story of Prophet Shu'aib is the first time we see economic corruption? Yeah, Prophet Shu'aib's story is an intriguing story because as you mentioned quite rightly, uh, there are other stories in the Holy Quran that look at social ills or look at political corruption. Whereas this one focuses on a community who not only were corrupt economically, but became extremely arrogant with their corruption. Uh, and the Quran therefore tried to highlight that there wasn't an area of society which it did not touch. Mm. It wanted to discuss every area of society. It wanted to ensure that we were able to learn from the lessons of the prophets on issues that affect us today. It was only 10, 11 years ago <clears throat> that the wolves of Wall Street saw the recession mm -hmm. that destroyed many. And therefore you find that such a story is a story that aims to allow us to understand that however much money we make, mm. we should always try and keep our feet on the ground and recognize that this is only a trust from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm -hmm. Therefore in the world of Islamic economics you find the story of Shu'aib is the first 
to seek to discuss economics mm. from an Islamic or from a religious viewpoint. Mm. That here you had the people of Median, and their main social ill was the fact that they wanted to build oligarchies and wanted to build monopolies where they were ready to destroy anybody's business as long as theirs flourished. Mm -hmm. So it's a story with many valuable lessons related to our lives economically today. Because there's not one of us who <coughs> aspires to be the wealthiest of people. We look forward at a stage in our life where we have a lucky break, where we have success yes. economically, where we're able to buy the best of everything. Mm -hmm where we're able to enjoy the luxuries of this world. Now, whether we get to this point by trampling over others' lives, by ruining others' lives, by destroying others' lives, or we get to that point patiently, but without hurting anybody, is the biggest test you could face. Mm -hmm. What happens in this story is that these two conundrums that affect us as human beings in life, how do you get to the top? Mm -hmm. Do you get to the top by respecting the wishes of God and not trampling on the creation of God? Or do you get to the top by destroying anybody who gets in your way because the means justifies the ends? Mm -hmm. These were the people that Shu'aib was about to face. Now, the verse that I quoted in the beginning, uh, chapter 7, verse 85, it says, and to, the, and to the people of Median. Now, Prophet Shu'aib was sent to the people of Median. Who were they and you know, in, how were their inhabitants? Well, uh, they are a group of people who are in the northwest of Arabia. <clears throat> so Shu'aib is seen as one of the Arabian prophets. Mm -hmm. Um, and they are also known in the Quran as Ashab al Aika. Ashab al Aika, because the area where they used to live was such a fertile area mm. <clears throat> that Aika refers to the fact that there were dense woods in that area. Mm. Now, when you have such a fertile area, you're able to build, you're able to invest, you're able to see production grow. And so these people were living very wealthy lifestyles. Mm -hmm. um, and while living that wealthy lifestyle, they became the envy of those around them. You know, people would know that the people of Median, Ashab al Aika, were enjoying very lavish life. Mm. Sadly, many of them had gone away from the path established by Nabi Ibrahim alayhi salam. Um, originally, we found that with Nabi Yusuf السلام, the people of Egypt, mm -hmm. many of them had stayed on the monotheistic path. Yep. Whereas Arabia was slowly reverting to the idol worshippers that was present in the time of Nabi Ibrahim السلام. Mm -hmm. And that's where you find that Nabi Shu'aib is ordered by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to go from the land of Hebron mm -hmm. towards the land of Median. So Shu'aib it's very interesting that in the Quran, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and we sent to them their brother. Mm. For example, and to the people of Madian, their brother Shu'aib, there was a question that was asked. 
And that was when Allah says we're sending their brother to them. Does that mean he's lived amongst them his whole life? Or does that mean he was sent to them at a certain period? And the answer is some prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grew up amongst their people. Yeah. Yeah, like Hud grew up amongst his people. Whereas others such as Lut or Shu'aib started off their lives in different areas, then were sent as messengers to that area. Mm-hmm. Nabi Shu'aib salam started off his life in Hebron. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells him, there is a group of people living in the northwest area of Arabia who have become corrupt in their ways, arrogant in their dealings, settle amongst them. He settles amongst them for a certain period, then begins talking to them. What was his character like with them? When he begins to speak to them? What, what was, was his character? His character was a fantastic character. You know, uh, Nabi Shu'aib alayhi salam, was known as all the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They're known as upright individuals, people of great respect um, and great dignity. You know, the people knew that the person had never put a foot wrong in his life. I must admit, I think there's more respect for the clan of Shu'aib than there is for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there is the verse in the Quran when they were like, if it wasn't for your clan, we'd be ready to stone you because you're not that important to us. But Nabi Shu'aib salam, he had a number of gifts. And these gifts are fundamental if you're about to begin talking to these people. One of his gifts was he had a unique title amongst all the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that was he was known as Khatib al-Anbiya. Mm-hmm. Meaning, he was known as the orator of all the prophets. Now, you know, these prophets are all very eloquent personalities. Of course. But to know as the Khatib the actual orator of all the prophets, Mm -hmm. that's a huge honor. His eloquence was second to none. You will not find a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, possibly except the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, his family, who had the eloquence of his tongue, Mm -hmm. like Nabi Shu'aib alayhi salam. And this is vital because when you're about to speak to a whole community, one thing you need is you need a eloquence, yes. you need that balagha, mm-hmm. you need that khataba, that oratory. And when those two come together, it's a magnificent combination. Mm-hmm. So Nabi Shu'aib salam, this gift of khataba, it proves pivotal in his ability to speak confidently with what were a very arrogant group of people. Now Sayyidina, as someone who is trying to get into khataba, and I'm sure there's a, a lot of viewers out there who want to get into khataba, what would you say is the best way to develop one's character when they're sitting on that member of Aba Abdullah? Speak from the heart. Mm. If you speak from the heart, it will affect the audiences because what's from the heart goes to the heart. Mm-hmm. Don't focus too much on is my oratory the best oratory? Mm-hmm. First begin is my heart a pure heart? When I'm saying what I'm saying, is it to serve Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or is it to serve my own interests? Yes. Have I given enough justice to the imam who I'm discussing when I'm lecturing? Mm -hmm. There are many out there who are budding lecturers or budding speakers. They want to be a great khatib. Mm -hmm. You know, in India, 
there used to be a great khatib by the name of Mirza Atar, um, who was known as Khatib Al-A'zam, you know, the great orator. These types of personalities, when they used to give lectures, they gave it from the heart. Because they knew it would reach the heart. And the most important thing, therefore, you find with the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is when they're speaking to their people, they want to ensure that their people feel that it's come from the right place. You can be someone who's a magnificent orator. But because it's not coming from your heart, because you're not really interested in doing what you're doing except just to tick off some boxes. Let me just lecture in the holy month of Ramadan. And when I lecture on this holy month of Ramadan, inshallah, you know, um, I'll get some sort of payment at the end and then I'll move on to another community. You're not really too concerned about the community that you're speaking to. Khataba fundamentally has to come from the heart. Mm-hmm. Secondly, it needs a lot of hard work. You know, you can't expect to be giving these talks to people without working hard behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. You want to prepare 10 nights of Muharram when you see many of these great orators out there who are preparing these lectures. The preparation that goes on behind the scenes is intense. Mm -hmm. You have to learn the sermons of Ahlul Bayt, memorize the sermons, memorize, of course, the Holy Quran. So therefore... When you've prepared beforehand, then you'll become more confident. And when you're more confident, it shows in your oratory. Mm-hmm. So all of these go hand in hand. But saying that, for example, someone who, who would put in hours upon hours of hard work into studying and you know, preparing 10 nights of Muharram, let's say, and then they turn up to the majlis and they're put off. Why? Because let's say there's four people sitting in their majlis. What's your advice for them? You know, I remember once a person coming up to me said to me, he was an up-and-coming speaker, and he asked me, he said, how do you get these huge crowds? Mm. He said, you know, I give uh, lectures and there's hardly anyone there. You know, maybe there's, you know, maybe there's 50 people, maybe there's 60 people. Mm-hmm. I said to him, that's not too bad. It's only 10 less than what Imam Al-Hussein got on the 10th of Muharram. Imam al-Hussain with all his greatness, 72. Therefore, if you have 50 or 60, but these are the most sincere. Mm-hmm. These are the ones who've come out on a wet, windy night to listen to you. Mm-hmm. Muharram, anybody can come and listen to a lecture. It's easy. Ten nights, show your face. People enjoy cooking and things like this. And, and you know, others enjoy, for example, the morning ceremonies. But when there are people who come to listen to you on an occasion that is not as grand in their eyes... Mm-hmm that your concern should be that let me cater and give ilm away. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, his family, when he first came and gave the message of the religion of Islam with stories like the stories of Prophet Shaib, these stories were given and only 50 to 100 people in the first 10 years accepted. Mm-hmm. So don't look at the quantity. Look at the quality of the people sitting. Work on your delivery. And also know that there's an imam of your time that if he sits, it's worth a million in the crowd. Now, Sayyidina, I, back to the story of Prophet yeah. Shaib I've heard that he used to cry for his community. Mm. Isn't crying a sign of weakness when some, in our case, in, for the Shia and Muharram, excessive? You know, one of the titles, you're absolutely right, one of the titles of Nabi Shaib was uh, Al-Bakka. Mm-hmm. Uh, Al-Bakka, because of how much he used to cry. I've even read a tradition where... 
he used to cry so intensely he became blind, similar to Nabi Yaqub salam. Therefore, those people who turn around to us and say that you Shia cry so much, there's no need to cry. And this sometimes is not just from outside of the school of Ahlul Bayt, even within the school of Ahlul Bayt. Yep. There are people out there, they'll come to a majlis, they'll get to the, the part of discussing, you know, or listening to the, to the recital on Imam Hussain and you'll find that these people will not shed a tear. And some will find it embarrassing to shed a tear. And there'll be some who'll say, well, you know what, there's no need to cry. The main thing is that you learn your lessons. On the contrary, the sunnah of the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, mm -hmm. from Adam until the Khatam, yes, from the Holy Prophet, Adam alayhi salam, to the Holy Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, was that they used to find it an honor to cry when remembering the blessings and the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm -hmm. Even the Quran says that when non-Muslims like the Christians hear the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even they begin to cry. When they hear the words that have been revealed to our Prophet, you see their eyes overflow with tears. Subhanallah. Nabi Shu'aib was known as Al-Bakka. Al-Bakka, why? Al-Bakka because he saw his football club lose the premiership? No. 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 Then someone might turn around and say, look, that's not legitimate. Mm -hmm. Some of us did shed a tear. <laughs> Al-Bakka, why? Because I lost my job. It can happen. You're a human. Yeah. Al-Bakka, because whenever he would remember Allah's blessings, he would shed a tear because he would recognize just how generous is this Lord to me. Hmm. There's even a narration where Allah tells one of the angels, tell Shuaib that his crying is now at a level where it's hurting him. Every time he loses his eyesight, I give him his eyesight back. Tell him what's he crying for. If it is about hellfire, I will never let hellfire touch him. If it's about Jannah, I'm going to make Jannah promised for him. Why is he crying? And he would reply, who wouldn't cry when you remember the generosity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you found that this wonderful humility, not just the khatib. Yes, he was khatib al-anbiya. But at the same time, he was known for his wonderful humility. That it, And you know, Truly people who can cry easily when they remember the signs of Allah, truly those people are the most soft-hearted. Yeah. yeah. Now does Prophet Shu'aib inherit any prophetic relics? Yes, he, as a prophet of Allah they would all inherit prophetic relics. And just before he begins his mission to Madian, of the relics that he's inherited mm -hmm. was the staff of Nabi Adam and this we would see continue with all the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that they'll inherit a ring of a prophet, a staff of a prophet, the clothing of a prophet, the turban of a prophet. One of the things that he inherited was the staff of Nabi Adam salam. Now we mentioned in the beginning that yeah. the people of Madian were known for their dishonesty. Um, what was their main source of corruption? Their main source of corruption apart from idol worship was mm. economic injustice. When, for example, you were buying merchandise from them, they'll give you less than what you've bought. Mm. So, for example, you've come and you've made a deal with them. 
that you've said that, listen, I want you guys to send me a container. And in that container, I want 1,000 oranges. The people of Median, what would they do? They would put 500 oranges in the box and then the rest of it, they fill with paper. What happens when you pick up that box, you think, yeah, this is, this is a thousand. This is a thousand. Yeah. Now that person, remember, in the economic world, there are ladders. Mm. There are middlemen. There are couriers. There are people who have got rents to pay, mortgages to pay, school fees to pay. The moment you start oppressing these people, there's a domino effect in society. Mm-hmm. Nabi Shu'aib would see a person who's of the poverty-stricken people or an average worker and he'd see him sad. Why are you sad? He'd say that, look, I went to the economic Minister. giants. Okay, yeah. And when I went to them, I had wanted to buy a thousand oranges because I'm able to sell these oranges at a certain sum where I'll make a profit. Mm -hmm. I opened the box, there's only 500. I've gone back to them and said to them, excuse me, we made an agreement here that there's a thousand oranges. You've given me 500. They'll look at me and say, who are you? Who are you? We are the wolves here. You're just the pauper in all of this. We run the show. If we want to, we'll destroy you and your family. You either accept our 500 oranges or we kill you. And one of the things that governments can do when they are corrupt is when they take a percentage of every deal that happens in that country. I remember reading a newspaper article that in some countries there were leaders of the countries who were called Mr. 10%. Why Mr. 10%? Every deal that happens, he has 10%. Baba, what do you mean every deal that happens, he has 10%? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala distributes his risk to everybody. No, you want this? Put my name for 10%. If that gets sold, 10%. Oil, 10%. Sugar, 10%. This value, 10%. Wallah, by the end, they called him Mr. 10%. Unbelievable. Because everybody's trying to live. Yeah. Look, Habib, Allah has given you enough rizq. You have to have your name on everything. And that's what you find when the Quran gives us the story because the Quran wanted the Muslim world and mankind as a whole to recognize that, look, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala distributes his rizq in different ways. Some of you he made wealthy, but he may have given you a test with your kids. Some of you he made poor, but gave you the best children. Some of you he made the middle way because he knew had he given you more you would have left the mosque. I remember the Holy Prophet, peace be upon his family, was walking with his companions. They came past an area. When they came past that area, the companions were thirsty, like me and you are now, with about an hour of iftar left. Now, when the companions were thirsty, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon his family, came to one of the Arab tribes. He said to them, Salaamu Alaikum, do you mind giving us some water? We're really thirsty. And the man just looked at him and said, no, sorry, the water's for my tribe. He said, may Allah increase your rizq. He went to the next tribe. He came towards the leader. He said to him, excuse me, uh, can you give water to my companions? We're thirsty. He's like, Ya Rasulullah, you are my prophet. I'll give you my life. Mm -hmm. When he left them, he said, may Allah give him that which is sufficient. And the companions were baffled. The one who didn't give anything, you said, may Allah increase his rizq. 
Yeah. The one who gave you all the water, you said, may Allah give him that which is sufficient. Yeah. He said, because that which is sufficient is easier to deal with. I asked Allah to give the other one more rizq. More rizq sometimes harder to deal with. Exactly. Therefore, you find that when a government is corrupt, mm -hmm. it begins to take away from the rizq which has been set by Allah Taala for these different groups of people. Mm -hmm. There's a rizq of course written for them, that will reach them. But there's a rizq that you go after. Mm. A corrupt government is one that begins to interfere in everybody's business. When you want to buy from them, they give you less. When they sell, look at the difference now. When you buy from them, yeah. and there's a thousand oranges that you want, they give you 500, you can't complain. Take it or leave it. When they buy from you, if there isn't a thousand in that box, what happens to you and your family? Killed. Prison, killed, destroyed. Believe you me, there are governments and empires who have destroyed people's lives. Mm -hmm. Because of their corruption. And economic injustice, its consequences are fatal. We'll come to them shortly. Inshallah. Sayyidina, Islam stresses mm. on justice in all one's affairs. Now, when you have corrupt governments and all sorts, but how about when it comes to family corruption? You know, when there's uh, injustice economically in the family. If there's injustice economically in one's family, you have to say that which is haq. Mm -hmm. Just because your mother or your father or your uncle or your aunt has done something unjust, doesn't mean you remain silent because it's your family. We Muslims have a habit. If somebody in the community steals money, we attack them 24-7. When it's in our own family, we remain silent. If somebody in the community has been economically corrupt, we attack them 24-7. When it's in our own family, we remain silent. And one of the biggest tests from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is you establishing justice yes. in all spheres of life, socially, politically, and economically. How so? When you see a member of your own family has been economically unjust, don't say, well, you know what, their family, I prefer to stay out of this because this is as bad as the injustice of the one who has been corrupt. Mm -hmm. What does the Quran say? There's a lovely ayah in the Quran, chapter 4, verse 135, which is an ayah which was made a plaque on the Harvard Law School. Ya ayyuhan nas, O mankind, kunu qawwameena bil qist. Be those who establish and maintain justice. Shuhada lillah. Walaw ala anfusikum awil walidain. Be those who maintain justice. Witnesses to Allah. Even though you may have to witness against your own self, mm -hmm. or your parents, or your near ones. If my cousin is an economically corrupt political minister, mm -hmm. and I know this and I remain silent, then my silence is just as bad as his corruption. Many of us, when we see corruption from others, we attack. When it's from one of us, we remain silent. And that's not right. And that's one of the biggest tests Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you.
that when one of your own commits economic injustice, are you ready to say what is the haq? Ahsan Sayyidina, thank you very much for that beautiful, insightful first part on the life of Prophet Shu'aib alayhi salam. Inshallah, in the second part, we'll continue in depth on the life of Prophet Shu'aib alayhi salam right after the break. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh and a very warm welcome to you all. Now Sayyidina, quickly remaining on this uh, economic corruption, what's the consequences for someone who has economic, economic injustice? I think economic injustice, when it spirals down into society, then one of the main problems that you face is poverty which then can lead to crime. Mm-hmm. There's a saying attributed to Imam Ali salam, if poverty was a human, I would kill him. Because you never want to see injustice meted out in any sector of society. And then when you see people who are poor, homeless, on the streets, they asked Imam Ali salam, why are there poor people in the world? And he said, because of the extravagance of the rich. Sometimes we have to blame ourselves. Maybe sometimes it's our extravagance Mm -hmm. that leads to that poverty. That poverty in turn can lead to fatal crimes. Mm -hmm. Because let me give you an example. In Islamic law, the verse in the Quran originally said for the people of the time that the hands of the thief must be cut. But there are, according to some, 19 conditions before you could cut the hand of the thief. Thief, One of them is if the state you live in is in a period of famine, then you can't punish the thief. Because the thief, you can't blame them for going out and stealing when the state has been so corrupt Mm -hmm. with the resources of the people. Nabi Shu'aib's major problem with the people of Median was that there was a few people in charge of the wealth of the whole area. Uh-huh. Now, there's nothing wrong if there's a few families who are wealthier than others. But when the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon his family, is talking about this story in Mecca, mm. concepts such as zakat are slowly introduced. Mm. Sadaqah is introduced. Why are these concepts introduced? No problem, be wealthy, but don't forget those segments of society that are not as well off as you. That's why you see the ayah in the Holy Quran, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. إِنَّمَا الصَّدَقَاتِ لِلْفُقَرَاءِ وَالْمَسَاكِينَ Sadaqat should go towards the poor, go towards the needy. You know, it's as if, you know, you always hear somebody saying, I'm and I've got back problems and so on. Yep. 
Al-Faqir is because his back is now broken. Why we call him Faqir? And that's why Imam Ali السلام, worked his hardest in his four years as Khalifa to establish economic justice. Mm. When Imam Ali السلام, saw a person begging who was a Christian, he turned around and said, how did we reach a stage where this human is begging? Have people become so extravagant? Mm. Have people become so corrupt? Is there not enough wealth to go around? And like we mentioned, we reached stages in our societies where governments were so corrupt that they were literally taking pieces of land that did not belong to them without telling the families that own those pieces of land, yeah. changing the names and giving it off to their children. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the aim of the story of Nabi Shu'aib with the people of Median is go out and earn from what Allah has blessed you, mm -hmm. but don't trample on others and destroy their lives in reaching that amount. Mm -hmm. Now, saying that, how did the verses that you just uh, talked about, how do they relate to the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him? Yeah, because you've got people like Abu Sufyan and uh, Abu Lahab and Abu Jahal and Walid ibn al-Mughira who partook in one of the main areas which destroys society economically, and that's interest. Mm. Allah has prohibited the taking of interest. The saddest day in the Muslim community is when a Muslim tells another Muslim, pay me back this amount, and if you are late, then this amount will keep going up and up and up. And don't worry, it happens. Muslims, when they find that they can destroy somebody else's life, they are not different to any other human being. They will take advantage. Mm. Abu Sufyan and others used to love partaking in riba. Mm -hmm. And if you look at a lot of the banking systems in the last couple of hundred years, People's lives have been destroyed making money through interest and losing money through interest. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon his family, when he's telling the people the story of Prophet Shu'aib, he's saying that, say for example, you have given money to another member of the community. Sure. When you have given them money, say they can't pay it on time. Mm. There's <clears throat> somebody, you gave them a godly loan mm -hmm. of a hundred pounds. They're telling you that, you know what, I'm just a bit late. Try and come back with a soft heart. Yeah. Don't come back like a shark. Mm -hmm. Even in current economic climates, there are what are known as lone sharks. Yeah. Of all the animals in the world that they could have used the name, they use the shark. They don't call him the lone cat. They don't call him the lone budgie. They don't call him the lone squirrel. Too soft. Too soft. Yeah. They call him the lone shark. Mm. Because he's ready to devour and destroy society. Mm -hmm. Now, if society watches these men without speaking out, then they are just as bad as them. Of course. What the Holy Prophet Muhammad peace be upon his family, was saying to the Meccans at the time, when you see Abu Lahab and his wife from Jamil, Abu Sufyan and his wife Hind, the daughter of Utbah, mm -hmm. when you see Walid ibn al-Mughira, 
When you see Utbah bin Rabi'ah, don't remain silent looking at their lone shark ways of destroying your lives. Mm. That's why we found surahs in the Quran and I wish more Muslims read these surahs. Waylun lil mutaffafeen. You've read the yeah. surah? Yes? Yes. Which surah number is Waylun lil mutaffafeen? Which one? 83 ahsent. Surah 83 of the Holy Quran, Waylun lil mutaffafeen. Why? Because in Arabia, what was happening? The same short weighing. Mm. When we sell, we expect you to give us the whole amount. Sorry, when we sell, we'll be corrupt. When we buy, you best give me the whole amount. Exactly. Therefore, there was a parallel between what happened with the people of Shu'aib mm -hmm. and what was happening in Mecca at the time. Now, saying that surely sh in business, there should be that odd bit of haram, you know, changing tags, maybe deleting invoices, maybe then go to the mosque, donate to charity, and then God will forgive us. Oh, people do that. Oh. Some, uh, there are people in, pop, in, in their private life mm. I should say, in their business life, everything goes. If he needs to have the odd sip of champagne to complete a deal, he needs to gamble a certain amount of money uh, to make friends enjoy his company so that he gets a deal. Um, you know, he, he needs to be at a certain club on a certain night so that a deal is completed. Um, and they'll say to you blatantly, they'll say, but bro, you don't understand. I had to do it because you know, this is what comes with the territory. Biggest load of nonsense you'll ever come across. Sell out your religion for money. Sadly. And that's a person who has not understood Ar-Raziq. Mm. Imam Ali alayhi salam says wonderfully. And don't just recite these lines on the night of 19th and 21st. Actually reflect on them. Mawlaya, Mawlaya, anta al-Raziq wa ana al-Marzuq. Wa hal marzuq illa al-Raziq. My master, my master, you are the sustainer. Not that bank manager, not that club owner, not that credit card fraud scammer, not those VAT guys who are scamming, not all, no, not me who's changing tags and invoices and receipts so that I earn a certain amount of money. The greatest is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is the sustainer. Mm -hmm. Imam Ali salam leaves his horse outside the mosque in Kufa. Somebody comes and, uh, and Imam says, look after this, the horse if you don't mind. But I say, okay, cool. Imam comes back after salah, the, person, the saddle's gone. Mm. What's this guy gone and done? Taken it. Taken the saddle. And what's he done with it? Sold it. Sold it. Imam Ali went into the market to look for a new saddle. What did he see? His own saddle. His own saddle. He told the guy, excuse me, that's my saddle. He said, oh, someone just came. And he sold it to us for two dinar. Imam Ali said, I was going to give him two dinar for looking after it. That two dinar mm. was going to reach that person. Why did you make it reach you in haram, not halal? Yeah, that's very true. And the amount that we have, sadly, who engage in haram within the Muslim community economically, mm. from family to friends to communal around the world, mm -hmm. there are, you know, Muslims are known as the community when it comes to benefit fraud. Mm. They'll own a flat and they'll get benefits from the government saying they're not working. And they own God knows how many businesses. Haram. 
It's economic injustice. Yeah. And that leads to you ruining someone's rizq. Mm -hmm. And that leads to that person losing themselves, mm -hmm. maybe committing an act, a crime. So Nabi Shu'aib alayhi salam, what he was saying to Madian was stop this. Mm. But what hurt Nabi Shu'aib was the silence of his friends, not the words of his enemies. Now, in chapter 11, verse 89, it says, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, O my people, let not your dissension from me cause you to be struck by that similar to what struck the people of Noah, or the people of Hud, or the people of Salih, and the people of Lord are not from, are not from you far away. How does Prophet Shaib salam warn them? Well, he knows, they know the story of Nabi Nuh. Mm. They know the story of Nabi Saleh. Mm -hmm. They know the story of Nabi Lut. So he's like, are you guys serious? You know all of these stories. Mm -hmm. You know that there were people who were corrupt politically with Nabi Hud. Mm -hmm. Where are they now? You know that there were people who were corrupt socially with Nabi Lut. Where are they now? What he's saying to all of us today, not just at that time, don't just say the Qur'an's a book of stories. Learn them and apply them quickly to your life. Otherwise, you'll be one of the losers as well. He knew that they knew the story of Prophet Lut. They knew Nabi Lut and Nabi Shu'aib's time was not a great distance. Wasn't a great amount of years. So what he was really saying to them was, you people who know these stories, learn from these stories. And you know what they turn around? They're like, wait. You're telling us that we leave the way of our fathers. Our fathers worship those idols and so will we. And who are you because of your prayers to turn around and tell us to stop what we're doing? If we want to do business the way we want to, you cannot do anything about it. It's at that moment they said to them, but I'm warning you, the same type of earthquake that sees those before you will come to you soon as well. And what did they turn around and say? You're a liar. Bring it on. Let your God seize us. Mm. And you know, sometimes when a person economically reaches the top, you know, if you look at the film Wizard of Lies, Robert De Niro and Michelle Pfeiffer, it's a fantastic film made about Bernie Madoff. Mm. And that film, Wizard of Lies, that film, no doubt, was a film that highlighted that there's a person running Ponzi schemes Mm. who reached a level of arrogance that if there was a bit of dirt on a plate when he was eating, he'd smash it on the ground. Baba, there are people in the world who, who, who will die to have a plate that clean. Why is the fork not polished? Throw it away. Hit people, hurt people. That's what Nabi Shu'aib did not want to happen with them, but their arrogance overtook them. Now Sayyidina, did Prophet Shu'aib have any missionaries like Prophet Ibrahim sent his cousin Prophet Lut and if he did send them to neighboring towns, let's say, did they survive? Sadly, I think Nabi Shu'aib is the beginning of where prophets of the children of Israel and their successors started to get killed. Mm. Um, he, had, he had this missionary who he sent to Africa. His name was, um, I think, Hassan bin Sinan al-Awza'i. He sent him to Africa and that person went to Africa and he told them, listen, come towards the path of God, stay away from this idol worship. And they burnt him. Or in one narration says they buried him alive. So there were missionaries. Nabi Shu'aib was sending people to other areas, mm -hmm. but sadly many of them were killed. Now Sayyidina, in the Quran, um, further on in chapter 11, in verse 92, not far from uh, what we just quoted, he, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, he said, 
O my people, is my family more respected for power by you than Allah? But you put him behind your back in neglect. Indeed, my Lord is encompassing of what you do. Now he, he warns them of this impending punishment. But surely saying that not everyone of Median was involved in the economical world. So, let alone economical corruption. Will they all be punished? I think you got a good point, Minhaj. It really is a good point. Hadith say only 40% of Median were economically corrupt. 60% weren't. Somebody asked the question, then why punish the whole of Median? It's because the 60% remained silent mm. when looking at the injustices of the 40% at the top. Amr bil ma'ruf is one of the furu' al-deen. When I see that there are zalimin, zallam in our community, the Quran tells me, mm-hmm. Do not give in to the oppressors. One of our biggest problems in our communities, when we see someone who is an oppressor, we turn around and say, Well, you know, I heard that he's an oppressor, but I, you know, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to speak out. I don't want to... No. When a person is a known oppressor, you have a duty to speak out. Mm -hmm. You can't let that arrogance of that oppressor continue without saying anything. Mm. Um, So you have in that community a lot of people who were told that, look, aren't they corrupt? They're like, yeah, they're corrupt, but I don't want to get involved. I don't want to say anything. You're not saying anything, but there are people whose rights are being trampled on. So that was a major lesson. That don't just imagine one hadith says 20% of them were bad, 80% were good, but the 80 remained silent. Mm. And therefore, they were part of the crimes. Now, these leaders, did they remain arrogant or, you know, even when they knew a punishment was warned? Because we see in chapter 26, verses 185 to 187, it says, Bismillah they said, you are only those affected by magic. You are but a man like ourselves. And indeed, we think you are among the liars. So cause to fall upon us fragments of the sky, if you should be... Look at the arrogance. Cause upon us fragments from the sky. We heard Lord's people were killed by baked stone clay. Mm. Bring that upon us. And you know why they call him a liar? They were calling the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon his family, a liar at the same moment when the verses were being revealed. Mm. That you, Muhammad, are a liar. And he's like, also Shu'aib was accused of being a liar. He was accused of being a magician as well. Now, in uh, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, in chapter 29, verse 37, it says, But they denied him, so the earthquake seized them, and they became within their home corpses fallen prone. Where does Prophet Shu'aib head after that earthquake? Yeah, he, he, he leaves um, Median and goes to Mecca. It seems that all the prophets, when they want to go somewhere safe, mm. They Safe all go haven. towards Mecca and, and you know the descendants of Nabi Ismail mm. were living in Mecca. Mm-hmm. So Nabi Shu'aib was one of the first people to do Hajj. <clears throat> uh-huh. Because remember after Nabi Ibrahim, Nabi Ismail, mm. there was the Kaaba, mm. there was Tawaf, yeah, there yeah. was uh, Arafah, Muzdalifah, Mina. So Nabi Shu'aib alayhi salam, he went towards uh, Mecca and Alhamdulillah he settled there. He got married, he had a couple of daughters, and then afterwards, he returned back to Median. Mm-hmm. When he returned back to Median, he was an old man, and his intention was that he rebuilds Median. Mm-hmm. Median had been completely destroyed. 
Yeah. But now the intention was, let's rebuild Madian. Subhanallah, most unlikely visitor comes to visit him. Who comes to visit him? You find the wonderful lesson that we learn mm -hmm. is that Nabi Musa alayhi salam comes to visit Nabi Shu'aib. Because we know very well, inshallah, from tomorrow we begin the story of Nabi Musa alayhi salam. Mm -hmm. Nabi Musa alayhi salam, when he left with the incident of the Egyptian and the Israelite, mm -hmm. Nabi Musa alayhi salam, when he had to leave that area of Egypt, he comes across the daughters of Nabi Shu'aib by a well and they're trying to get some water. Mm -hmm. One of the most beautiful marriages is the marriage of Prophet Shu'aib's daughter Safra or Safura to Nabi Musa alayhi salam. Now you see Nabi Musa alayhi salam leaving Pharaoh's nation mm -hmm. and when he's left them, he's worried for them that they're going to deviate away from the path of God. He's now in the wilderness, comes across an area, sees men all collecting water from the well. Sees two ladies, but they're not collecting. Comes, talks to them, why aren't you going? They're like, well, we can't, there are men ahead of us. And it's not right that in this moment that we mix upon them as we don't know them. Mm. Straight away it clicks for Nabi Musa. There's injustice there. There are two ladies and gentlemen should say ladies first. True? Mm -hmm. And so Nabi Musa alayhi salam goes and gets the water for them. He's like, where's your dad? Our dad's an old man. Mm -hmm. Said, very well, I'll carry the water for you. Mm -hmm. They were walking ahead of him. He said, no, no. In my position, let me walk ahead of you. On the way to your father's house, throw pebbles. Where the pebble lands, I'll know that's the direction. There's no need for chit-chat to happen. Subhanallah. There's a physical hijab, but there's a social hijab as yep. well. That if we're going to talk amongst each other, we talk with respect. Mm -hmm. We talk about those areas that affect us in life where we can improve and learn from one another. And subhanallah, those daughters come back to their father and their father, Nabi Shu'aib alayhi salam. Nabi Shu'aib finally sees Nabi Musa alayhi salam. Now, saying that Nabi Musa got married quick. He sees what's done there. Now, is there a dua? Because we look at chapter 20, verse 24. It says, Bismillah ar-Rahman That is the dua. That's the dua. That's the dua. If you want to get married, chapter 28, verse 24. Okay. So Tonight, you're news? getting married. Hussein's getting married. <laughs> said Murtada's getting married. Mustafa Afwan's getting married. Amir Reza's <laughs> getting married. Haji Qasim Fahad is probably getting married right inshallah. now. Everybody tonight, if they read this dua, inshallah, they'll get married. Sayyid Murtal is the most important one. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. It says, so he watered their flocks for them. Then he went back to the shade and said, my Lord. My Lord. Indeed I am. Indeed I am. For whatever good. For whatever good. You would send down to me in need. There you go. That's all you need to do. My Lord. Indeed I am, for whatever good you send down to me. Mm -hmm. Whatever goodness, Ya Allah, I'm ready for it. Just say those lines in Surah 28 verse 24, mm -hmm. and you'll find all of a sudden Nabi Musa is getting married. SubhanAllah. Yeah. Now, one thing I'm sure the viewers are excited for, what happens when Prophet Shu'aib meets Prophet Musa? SubhanAllah, the hadiths say that as soon as Nabi Musa saw Nabi Shu'aib, 
he kissed, he went down on the feet, he went down by the feet of Nabi Shu'aib alayhi salam. He literally went down by the feet. Now for Nabi Musa alayhi salam, with all his greatness to go down by the feet of Nabi Shu'aib, highlights to you the special position of Nabi Shu'aib alayhi salam. And he called out, peace be upon you, O orator of the prophets. Subhanallah. Imagine Nabi Musa alayhi salam, not just say salamun alayk, salamun alayk ya khatib al-anbiya. Peace be upon you, O orator of the prophets. Maybe he was trying to get a good word with his future <laughs> father-in-law. Beautiful moment, beautiful. But do you wish fathers in this day and age would make it easier for proposals? Would make proposals go that easier? Yeah, I think some fathers have some ridiculous demands. Mm. I think some fathers make life very difficult. I think mm. some fathers outside of marriage are really nice people. When you propose for their daughter, they sometimes just turn into a monster. Yeah. Now, okay, you love your daughter, but now you're sounding very arrogant or rude in your approach. Um, Nabi Shu'ayb tells Nabi Musa, إِنِّي أُرِيدُ أَنْ أُنْكِحَكَ أَحْدَ بْنَتَيَّ هَاتَيْنَ عَلَىٰ أَنْ تَأْجُرَنِي ثَمَانِيَ And if you are able to complete 10, then it's from you. وَمَا أُرِيدُ أَنَ شُقَّ عَلَيْكَ I don't want to be hard on you. I want you to marry one of my daughters, mm -hmm. if you can. Um, work for us as the mahar for eight years. If you complete 10, then 10. But I don't want to make life difficult for you. Mm -hmm. That, I think that's a beautiful line in the Quran of how every father-in-law should be. Don't be someone who's hard towards your son-in-law. Now, Sayyidina, I'm going to take one question from WhatsApp because we are running out of time. Um, let's see. Ahmed from uh, Canada says, Sayyidina, do you think the mahar in this day and age is excessive? I feel sorry for those in the Middle East. They're the ones who have oh, yeah. these crazy dowries, you know? Crazy. I think, alhamdulillah, in the UK, generally, the US, Canada, Australia, I've seen, you know, Mahar of Fatima al-Zahra become a, a, a basic norm, and that's wonderful. But when I hear stories in the Middle East, people having to give hundreds of thousands and tens of thousands, that's it's pretty ridiculous, mm -hmm. you know, and um, you shouldn't start a marriage like that. Now, the arranged marriage, this whole thing that's going about in the community uh, that Muslims get made, get mocked for. Um, Prophet Musa alayhi salam marries Prophet Shu'aib's daughters in not daughter, an arranged yeah. Daughter, sorry, not daughters. In not, in not arranged way at all. Look, the, the arranged marriage which Muslims get mocked for mm. is where you literally get married to someone you've never met before. Mm-hmm. And the girl's permission isn't even sought. That's ridiculous, it's absurd, and it's unjust. Yeah. To not seek to have your daughter having say in who she wants to live her life with is ridiculous. To the extent that you have our maraja are clear. If you're going to take an istikhara for marriage, Without having told your daughter that someone's come to propose, you've taken the stakhara on that person is not allowed. You have to inform your daughter. Mm -hmm. So that type of arranged marriage is not allowed. Look at Nabi Shu'aib alayhi salam with his daughter. She says, Ya Abati istajir. Inna khayra man istajirta al Now, she says, My father employ him. She was open with her father, talking with her father. And dad, he's a qawi and he's a mean. 
He said, so, okay, he's Qawi, I know, because he lifted the water all the way here. But mm -hmm. Amin said, because on the way here, he never talked to me in a way that was wrong, mm -hmm. in a way that was disrespectful. But she had that confidence to talk to her dad. Yeah. And I think that if you're talking arranged in terms of mutual friends or matchmakers, I, I think these things are positive. Mm -hmm. But I think like you could see with the story of Nabi Musa salam, there was no matchmaker. Exactly. He saw her, she saw him, and they took it to the families. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Now, Prophet Musa salam marries the daughter of Prophet Shaib salam. Does Prophet Shaib salam become a grandfather? Yeah, I think, well, I couldn't find much evidence about how many children they have. I think when they leave Median and you know, go towards the call of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in the plural it's mentioned where he says, wait all of you here. And that would indicate that that was um, uh, you know, his wife and a couple of children. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I would say that Nabi Shu'aib uh, at the end of his life gets that great honor of being a grandfather. Ahsan Sayyidina, thank you very much for your time thank tonight. Thank you, my pleasure. A beautiful and insightful discussion on the life of Prophet Shu'aib alayhi salam and his son-in-law Prophet Musa touching a few points there and inshallah the life of Prophet Musa alayhi salam in depth tomorrow live on Imam Hussain TV 3 with Dr. Sayyid Amar Naqshawani. Do stay tuned for that. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We encourage you to look at our audio library for more content on Quran, ethics, lifestyle and spirituality. Imam Hussain TV 3, your gateway to Karbala.